welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Today, we are taking yet more questions from listeners of the Hot Copy Podcast, and we will be answering them with answers, because that's what we do here at the Hot Copy Podcast. <laughs> and if you think this intro is slightly delirious, it's because it's taken us... 37 minutes to get to this point where we're actually recording. So don't expect this episode to be, you know, too professional. We're just going to get through it as best we can. Hi, my name's Kate Toon and I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and my Skype just made a really big noise. (laughs) That's me turn Skype. Are we actually recording on Skype? I can't turn Skype off. How do we stop Skype making that noise? <laughs> you have to do not disturb. I'm on do not disturb. I don't know then. Right. I don't know. Don't care. Right. I'm going to keep on going. Yeah. Hi, my name's... Oh, that was too loud. <laughs> Hi, my name's Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe for SEO success. And with me is my delirious co-host, Belinda Weaver. Hi there, my name is Belinda. <laughs> Keep going, Belinda. We're not stopping. I'll do it for you. Her name is Belinda Wiener. She's Wiener. Wiener. Ah. Her... My name is Belinda Wiener. Stop. I'm the founder of Copyright Matters. And I created the Copyright <laughs> We're not stopping. Keep going. Oh, we've already done that bit. <laughs> right, we're not. We're really not stopping. This is going out unedited because this is. I my entire life has been spent trying to do this episode. So, people, if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking it's a bit strange, just bear with us. We're going to get to some good stuff in a minute. We just need to calm down a bit. Um, yeah. So, I'm not reading that bit because it's not relevant. I'm going to jump to this bit. So, Belinda. Question number one is from Lucy Banwell, who I believe is a student on your course. And she says, how do you, is she a student on your course or did I just make that up? I think you made it up. Sorry, Lucy, if you are. (laughs) What is wrong with us? I I can't. I can't. can't. This is your first episode. It's not normal. Okay, first question. Lucy asks, how do you move a client from piecemeal work to a retainer arrangement? And this is a really, really good question. I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer it because, to be honest, I never had a lot of strong retainer clients. A lot of my clients were always once-off projects. So, Kate, what has your experience been with retainers? (laughs) Stop it. I can't. Hang on. (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, um, my experience with retainers, jeez, come on, okay, um, my experience with retainers is that, yeah, you can't go straight, look, we're trying to be grown up now, we've put our grown up voices on, you can't go straight off the bat into a retainer, so it's not something, it's kind of like, it's not something you can offer on the first date, you have to have had a few dates before you can bring up the subject of a retainer, it's like asking someone to move in with you, you can't do it on the first date, you'd look like a weirdo, so I find that, you know, what happens is you do a few jobs, and then it comes to the point, you know, maybe where the client's booking in the third job, um, or even the fourth job, and you say, look, to your, it would be to your advantage if we moved into more of a retainer agreement, because 
every time I'm quoting for a job, I'm spending time putting together a quote, putting together a proposal, um, and you know that that uses up some of your time um, and if we move to a retainer you know looking at the quantity of work we've done so far I think maybe five or six hours a month then you know you can brief me you'll also be a priority client because I deal with all my retainer clients first and um, it means that I will obviously get to know your business better so I think you have to sell it into them um, but I think it's just about choosing the right moment um, and then with retainers uh, does, I'm saying uh, and I'm a lot I do apologise you have to get the agreement right just be careful about things like how many hours are going to carry over each month um, because that can be an issue so if people don't use the retainer money up um, for like three months then all of a sudden you've got like 10, 20 hours of work that you have to do and you have to fit in because you've agreed to it so I recommend grabbing the retainer agreement document from the Clever Copywriting School um, because it's got all of those bits and bobs covered and I finally feel like I've recovered from the giggles now Belinda do you? I think yeah okay, I cool. think we're that, time to be growing up now Kate we that, should that was bad like if this is your first episode really go and listen to some of the other ones because we are actually quite serious and know what we're talking about it's just been yeah. a bad day anyway question two I'm going to ask you this question and it's from Matt Fenwick who's a member of my clever copywriting community and he says if you're running a writing business should you get a VA and if so what sort of things should I ask them to do I think if you're in a position um, where you can afford a VA, then you absolutely should because this comes back to what is the most profitable use of your time? And I bet most of the admin that you could get someone else to do is not the most profitable use on your top of your time. You should be writing at a much higher rate than a VA will charge you to do things like um, – Document creation, uh, when I had a VA, she regularly created my proposal skeletons based off the template. I would give her um, the bare bones, like the services and um, the information I had about the client. She would create the proposal and then I would customise it, do, you know, do the last bit of customization. My VA would also do a lot of my social media scheduling. So I would uh, publish a blog post. Um, she would pull out some tweets for me. I would check them and then she would schedule them and post them for me. So you get a lot of VAs that will also do a lot of social media work, which can be just incredibly time consuming. Now, you need to do quality control on all the things you ask a VA to do. But I think, as you'll say, Kate, once you get to trust, you have trust in your relationship, um, then you can pretty much let them go at it. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. So I didn't use a VA as much when I was doing copywriting full time. I could never... Like, you know, by the time I'd sent them all the details for the proposal, I just thought I may as well just do it myself. And that may as well just do it myself thing can be a big barrier to people getting a VA. You do have to invest time. And at the beginning, it will take more time than it seems worth it. But over time, it gets better. So I've got, I could, we could do a whole episode on this. I actually think this would be a good episode to do um, as a, as a whole episode, because I think there's, I've learned so much about working with VAs and how to brief them, how to get the most out of them to the point where I was just able to go on holiday for three weeks and pretty much only spend about four hours a week keeping my business going because I had such a good VA that's able to kind of run everything on my behalf. So yeah, I definitely think it's worth it. Don't forget that VAs can also do things like bookkeeping. Um, so they can, you know, raise your invoices, chase invoices, um, you know, they could do other things like send out client gifts there's, there's heaps that they can do um, and what you might find is <clears throat> 
you actually develop new things because you've got this extra resource. So, you know, we've all, we'd, yeah. all, we'd all like to be the kind of copywriter that remembers to send out a gift and a card to their clients after they've finished the job. You know, that's a nice thing to do. But most of us forget. Or maybe we don't send up that follow-up document or that testimonial request or that whatever, you know. And what you actually do is become better at, at doing everything because you've got someone who can focus on those bits and bobs while you're focusing on the copy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? A lot of VAs will give you heaps of examples of the kinds of things that they can do. Yeah. So if you start talking to VAs, ask what kind of things can you help me with? Yeah. And they will give you heaps of suggestions. And then what I found is I trusted – I she was extremely trustworthy and awesome, but I'm a control freak. And it wasn't until we got into the relationship a little bit more and I started letting go that I was like, all right, now I want you to do this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. And it was fantastic. It t- took me about six months to finally turn around to my um, wonderful VA, Leanne Woff, if you're listening – Uh, I'm talking about you, and say to her, you know what, I'm going to stop micromanaging your every move and I'm just going to let you get on with it. And since then, it's just been so much better. Um, Because honestly, sometimes she has a clearer vision of what I need to do than I do. So yeah, I think if you can afford it, you know, start small, maybe an hour a week, uh, and then build up from there. But maybe, Belinda, we could make a note and do a full episode on this, like, and uh, maybe bring some VAs on the show to have a chat with us as well. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Good idea. Oh, okay. So I'll ask the the next question. We're on a roll now, Kate. I feel like totally got it back now. Got it back. (laughs) Um, How do you, this is from um, Kaylee Toira, and this is a Twitter question. How do you deal with cross-cultural copywriting? She says, I deal with the U.S., and I think it's the UK, Can- Can- Canada, oh dear. Oh Canada and Australia. Good Lord, you haven't got it back. Uh, um, not at all. Yeah, interesting question um, in terms of, I, well, you know, it's an interesting question because obviously, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the basic stuff like spellings and things like that, which are very easy to yeah. overcome. I'm not sure that it, unless you've lived in a country or you are that you can really do a great job of understanding the cultural references you know like that I don't I would not feel confident about say for example writing witty copy for Canadians because I've never been to Canada don't know much about it I think they have a sort of slightly sarcastic sense of humor like us British people but you know the kind of jokes that I would make in copy or the kind of relationship I would even have with a client would be different I don't know about this one I mean I've written a lot of US copy and have never had any issues with it so maybe I'm thinking about it too deeply but yeah I don't know what do you think well I had a little bit of a a hack on this one because when I wrote for overseas clients I would I would pull as much as I could from the brief so like we've talked about before the brief is so important to get right so I would try I I probably wouldn't stray too far away from things I was pretty certain about Um, and then I would have an international proofreader and part of the proofreading brief like you could set you know is it for the you know American English, British English, Canadian English, or Australian English, and part of the um, the proofreading brief, I would say I'm specifically looking for cultural references that I have got wrong. Yes. As well as spelling and stuff like that. And they would often say, well, you've said this, but, you know, in Canada you probably phrase it more like this, you know. So that would be my cheat. But otherwise, you know, yeah, I, I would stay with very safe copy. Yes. Which is 
It might be, be a bit boring, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. So the clients I've worked with have been like, you know, insurance uh, clients and, you know, photographers and, you know, they wanted pretty straight copy. Um, you know, I, I think we've talked about this a good episode, you know, when we talked to Kira Hug about like the differences between American. By the way, that's my chair squeaking, not me squeaking, if you heard a strange squeak. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to set Belinda off again, but that's what it is. Um yeah, so <laughs> maybe have a listen to that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a very interesting question. I'm probably overthinking it. I think your idea about having an international proofreader is fantastic. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably the best tip is to just keep it pretty straight. Don't try and be too funny. Don't try and use slang. Uh, you know, the classic. I'm not, I'm not even sure if it's true, but when I went to San Francisco, I was continually calling it San Fran, and apparently everyone thought I was a complete dweeb for doing that because that's not what. <laughs> they call it what do they call it well we're from within california you call it the city do you the friend yeah. well the city yeah so there you go like you know i'm sure there's a few things like that about sydney as well like yeah so yeah i don't know that's not a very good answer is it but you know i think belinda's answer was better so i'm going to move on <laughs> to the next question um so jonathan crossfield asked on twitter uh, it's not really a question it's more of a statement uh, speech marks, I forgot to track changes, speech, mar- speech marks, discuss. Um, so I guess that's kind of around what do you do when the client has massacred your copy, they haven't tracked changes, and you now have to try and work out what the heck they've done. How would you approach that, Belinda? Well, after um, weeping for a little while, um, I would probably just try and have two documents side by side. Now, this and just spend a bit of time trying to dissect it, to be honest. Um, The other thing is to also accept that you're probably not going to pick up every change. So I would then probably put my copy editor's hat on and go, all right, you know, I know know roughly what I wrote. I'm going to read this new copy and just try and edit it as much as possible and turn it into something better. But, you know, it's a tough one. I don't, like, there's no point really going back to the client and going, man, you forgot to track changes because it's done. Right, you just got to figure out how to turn the copy you've got into much better copy. I would so back go back to the client and say, you forgot to track changes. <laughs> I would totally, because I think you have to, we've talked about this before, about processes and being the boss and, the, and taking the lead. So, yeah, I would deal with the situation, like you said, and just look at it with fresh eyes um, and, you know, work with what I've now got. Uh, and, you know, obviously you've still got the draft that you originally send them. So if you get to a paragraph yeah. where it's like, what the heck is this? You can just refer back to what you originally wrote. But I think it's really important that we educate clients on how we want to work. So I actually have in my proposal template that I use track changes and that it's a requirement of working with me that you use track changes. It sounds silly, but it just heads them up. Like like I used to say that I used Basecamp and that that's how I work. And if you're not happy with that, then I'm not the copywriter for you. Um, another thing that's a really cute thing that you can do is you can use a tool like Loom and just show the client how to use track changes because we all think it's easy to do, but lots of people just don't know how to do it. So make a little Loom video, um, either personalize it to the client and then they'll think that you're amazing or just make a generic video, which is you showing a client how to turn on Word, where to go to click to track changes and then explaining, you know, how to use, when to use comments and when to actually edit the copy uh, directly. And they will, 
they will love you for it. So, you know, the, fir- yeah. the first time it happens is the time that you realise that you need to improve your processes so it never happens again. That's right. And we know, Jonathan, if you're listening to this, that this was a joke question, but it's a serious issue because it's really, really painful. The other horror story is when you get the revisions marked in pen, oh, scanned and faxed and to, you. Sent to you. Yeah. 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 Just. I've had that before awfulness so yeah so tighten up your processes as much as possible and then just deal with it (laughs) yeah totally so question five we got from amanda paul who asks just wondering what insurances you have or recommend for copywriters who are the better providers i'm just establishing my content writing and communications consulting business that's quite a mouthful um and wondering what i should be covered for i think i need professional indemnity and maybe public liability insurance Interesting. So we are not insurance experts and I'm not even sure that we should be answering this question because we might get in trouble. But I would say that you don't probably need public liability insurance. That's generally for if you have a a space where, you know, you're worried people are going to trip over and bang their heads. So if you're inviting clients to your home office and things like that, well, maybe you do. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're meeting clients in a co-working space or a cafe, it's up to them to have public uh, liability insurance. Professional Professional indemnity is about if you do something in some way that actually then damages the client's business, they could come back to you and say, hey, you know, you did this and we lost lots of money and we're going to sue you. So the professional indemnity covers you for that. Um, What I know about insurance could be written on the back of a postage stamp, but I will say that um, lots of the copywriters in my community do have professional indemnity insurance. There are a few writers associations, the name of which for escapes me right now but I'll find it and put it in the show notes that as part of the membership you get insurance so that's pretty good in Australia that is um but yeah did you did you have either or both of those types of insurance uh not public liability public liability for exactly the reason you said no one ever came to my house ever um and I worked from home Uh, professional indemnity I had for a few years and I just want to repeat not an insurance expert this should not be taken as any kind of official advice but my accountant told me um, professional indemnity um, safeguards you against negligence so what you immediately have to do um, whether you have the insurance or not is safeguard yourself against negligence now as a copywriter we're rarely actually giving advice Um, You know, when you're a coach and a mentor and things like that, that's slightly different. But as a copywriter, we're not really advising people to take action. Um, And so what he recommended I do is make sure that uh, my processes were all written down. And that's when I really documented things like um, my checklist. So each client, I had each step from, you know, when they first made an inquiry to when the project finished and I could mark it off and put a date on it. And it's also when I official, um, officiated, I'm not sure that's the right word, um, approval milestones. So if someone, uh, a client said, hey, this is awful and we're going to sue you because you've done a bad job, I could always turn back and say, well, on this date you approve the brief, on this date you approve the first draft, on this date you approve this, you know, and always, and it, everything was documented. And, and this was just advice from my accountant, but he said, if, if you've got a process and it's documented and you can say for each client how they move through the process, it's very difficult for them to prove negligence on your part because you've applied a consistent process so that's when I kind of kicked professional indemnity to the curb but repeating 
I'm not an insurance expert. Well, that I, was my yeah. I'll add that I've never had it in all my years, so that might suggest something. I also think if you have really good terms and conditions uh, that cover you for things, you know, they will if you get they've got some term. If you're Australian, you can grab the terms and conditions template from the Clever Copywriting School. If you're in your own country, then um, there are you know various places you can get them from. They will often cover you for things like that. So you can say, you know, when I'm not liable if this happens, I'm not liable if that happens. And then once the client signed those off, well, then they can't then say, well, now you are liable. But in any of situation like this, speak to an accountant or an insurance broker or a lawyer. We're just sharing our experience, so yeah. You know, but but don't panic that you need this yeah. insurance. Yeah, I would just say as a as an extra thing here, I know I I know of no copywriter who has public liability insurance, and I'd probably say about twenty percent of the people in my community have professional indemnity. So that's just an indication. Um, so next question is from Di uh, Di Chant. Chan- I can't say it. Chalinor. Chalina. 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 Uh, Do you think it's a good idea to try and get the final approval of your copy on each stage of the job, even if it's the CEO? I recently had an experience where I was asked to edit a coffee table style book. I went with their direction and my contact was happy. Then the CEO read it and said we'd gotten it all wrong. I got paid and the book is being published, so they must have talked him around. But wow, what a stuff up. How do I avoid this again? What do you think, Belinda? Um, This... I think this is a good question. I think this, you have to, what I did in this situation, I said, you have to nominate one contact for a project. And that contact is responsible for all the feedback. Um, So if you have one contact person and they're giving you a brief and they're telling you that they're happy, I think you have to go with that. I think you have to have the approval milestones that we've often talked about in our process, like the brief gets approved. um, And, Uh, various other parts of your project you have in writing that they're happy or that they have revisions. I mean, I think what you can do with your contact is say, is there anyone else that might be interested in having a look at this as the project goes to try and get a feel for that kind of random CEO that's going to come in Um, and then gently suggest that before they give you revisions that they pass it around all the people they think should have a say. Yeah, I mean... Like at the end of the day, it's not your responsibility to manage what happens internally at a company. Yeah. Equally, the, the other issue is, you know, where you've been working with a client and then the, the eighth hour when you've pre-fred it and you're about to send them the invoice, they say, I'm just going to get my wife to take a look. Oh, I'm just going to get my yeah. husband to have a quick read through. And you're like, what the? Yeah, uh, they're pretty good with words. Yeah. Oh, she wrote a newsletter in 1974. So I think she'd have a good opinion about this brochure. You know what? No. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, you have, it's a good, we're all about the process, people. You have a proposal. It tells them how many rounds of amends they get. If they exceed the rounds of amends, or if they, you know, get to stage three and they change the direction, then that is their problem that they need to bear. So, you know, if someone said to me, uh, okay, I'm at proofreading stage, I'm going to get my wife to take a look at it, I'd say, well, just be aware that we've gone through all your rounds of amends, so anything that comes yeah. out of your wife's review, I'll have to bill you for. And in this situation, I, you know, which I assume you did, I'd say, well, great, you know, the CEO's changed the direction, so we actually have to go back to the beginning. So how yeah. about I calculate the amount of time I've spent so far, estimate the new amount of time since I'm going to be starting from scratch and you've changed the brief, then, you know, then I'll send you a new invoice. So I think it's about, you know, 
not freaking out because if someone says they're going to show it to their wife, wait until they see what they come back with, you know, explain that the, the amends will be extra. Sometimes what they come back with isn't that big. And then you can make a decision, look, it's half an hour. Do I want to keep the client sweet or do I want to make a big fuss and get, you know, half an hour's worth of money? But if it's a big change of brief, then you have to stand your ground and say, hey, you know, I did the work in good faith. I followed your brief. You are my point of contact. You know, I've spent 20 hours on this. That has to be paid for. Yeah, absolutely, because usually the person who comes in at version three has not read the brief, has had no idea about the conversations that have happened and the direction that you've been working under. Yeah, exactly. Cool, next question. What a nightmare. I know. Yeah, it totally, it just like, it takes me right back, you know. (laughs) The sweat's just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, The next question we have is from Sharon Murray and she says, when do you send the brief template to the client before or after you quote? And this is an interesting one because we have a slightly different process here. We do. And I think we covered this off, we've covered this off in a previous episode. We'll have to try and remember which one because we talked about it at length. So I send it before um i quote um i'll often give the client a rough ballpark like you know hey it's a x page website well that'll be between three and five grand um so that i know whether it's actually worth my time putting together a proposal and then i will send them my brief template which is just a couple of pages long um i'm plugging a lot this week but you can buy that in the clever copywriting school shop if you want um and it's not you know hugely detailed and i don't expect them to write you know wonderful answers it's really just a rough rough brief and really what I'm hoping to get out of that brief is is the kind of the size of the project you know not every nitty-gritty of the target audience and things like that I really just kind of want to know is it 10 pages or is it two you know what is it a brochure and a website you know just so I can work out a cost you know um so I send it then then I put together my proposal uh, which articulates what they've told me back to them perhaps I might have a call before I do that proposal send the proposal and then once um they have signed that off and given me some money then I start the job but you do it slightly differently don't you yeah I I have a conversation with them about is it is it 10 pages or is it two is it a brochure is it a website um and I get that information just in a conversation and then I do the proposal and then when I get the deposit I send the brief through which is now let's talk about your reader let's talk about their pain points let's talk about features and benefits and stuff like that so I I get more information I get as little information from them as possible in order to get them a proposal. Yes. I want to spend – I don't want them to spend as, any more time than they have to and I don't want to spend any more time as I than I have to until we're exchanging money. Yeah. And I think it it's sounds a, a bit seedy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's about how busy you are. So, you know, to me, like sending someone a brief and saying before I leave and kind of – lift a finger you have to fill this in is a really good way of getting rid of tire kickers because if someone's not willing to spend you know how long does it take 20 minutes to fill in a simple briefing form then you know why are they even bothering to approach me they're just fishing for quotes so they can I can I'm happy to just give them a ballpark you know and then they can compare it with everyone else I'm not going to spend quality time putting together a proposal if I'm not pretty sure I'm going to get the job you know yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, it's it's something you could test, really, yeah. with different clients. Like, what happens to the 
to the client relationship in the process when you send it before and when you send it after. That's the easiest way to figure out what's right for you because neither one of us is right or wrong, but we just figured out what has worked for us and the kind of clients we work with. Yeah, totally. Okay, final question. Um, and it's from Becky Brown. And she says, what's the best way to deliver revisions to a client? Most of my clients hire me to create new content, in which case I deliver drafts of new copy, which go through a client revision process, which leads to a final draft and seems very straightforward. However, sorry, I need to breathe. However, recently I've been hired to revive it, revise existing copy. And I've wondered whether the client expected to see the suggested suggested revisions on the existing copy rather than the clean new revised copy that I provided should I should I ask or am I the expert who gets to decide how that works yeah do you want to go first with that one or shall I uh, you go first okay so I, I've actually already answered this question this is Becky in my my masterclass oh I so wonder I've if we'll agree I wonder if we'll agree like if it were me I would take the existing copy it depends how bad it is if the copy needs to be kind of rewritten which often when like completely rewritten uh, which often happens this is why I often say you know quoting to edit copy is um, more more costly than just writing it from scratch why because often the client has actually got the message wrong that's what I find you know the, the entire you know thread around which this whole piece of copy has been sort of sewn terrible analogy isn't right like they've gone in the wrong direction and therefore Mm. you can't do a light edit you need to take the bare bones of it and start from scratch in that instance i'd do a completely new copy deck but if i'm looking at existing copy and the changes aren't dramatic i would use track changes to edit that copy and possibly i'd send them a, a clean version and a track changes version so that they have the choice because that's easy enough turn track changes on do all your edits save it out then do turn track changes off and save out a version that's clean and say hey here you go here's a clean version with all my edits done and if you want to see how i got there here's the version with track changes that's what i would do is that what you said that is exactly what I. oh think. my god we are so in sync high five and I basically, I rev, I suggest said that you're the expert who gets to decide how it works, yeah. um, and it's part of your authority as the copywriter, the project manager of of the project that you are project managing. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And but I basically said I think you should give them a clean, um, clean version of the copy because track changes is distracting. Yeah, it really and is. It's hard to read, and they'll get. To, yeah, they won't see the beauty of your copy. They'll be like. You know, it'll be messy. Yeah. Why did they? Why did she cut that word out? Why yeah. has that changed? And there's lines and all that kind of stuff. So definitely supply a clean version. And and as you said, you can either give a track change, a tracked version with it, or say if you want to see them, I can also give you that. Yeah. Yes, you're, you're so right. I find if you do an edit and you use track changes and your editing copy that the client has spent hours fiddling with, you know, mm. that they were quite happy with, you, they start to argue with you, and they're like, "Well, hey, why did you change that line there?" You know, I thought that was a really good line. Whereas if they just read it fresh, sometimes they forget, you know, they forget. Yeah, they think they wrote all of it and they think they're geniuses and that's how they want to think. So go with that. Hope none of my clients are listening. I've never done that, obviously. Um, (laughs) So there we go. We managed to get through this episode. I'm sorry we were so giggly, everybody, um, but we had a a huge amount of technical issues before and we were both slightly delirious. It's been a... It it was a joke. It really was a yeah. joke. Uh, it's time 
to finish up the show and as you know at this point we we read out a review and today we're giving a shout out to Rachel Layton from Australia and she says this is a great podcast for copywriters as it's full of practical advice delivered in a down-to-earth and fun way I love the banter between Kate and Belinda I only discovered this podcast recently thanks to a recommendation from Lindy Alexander so I've enjoyed catching up on all the old episodes so thank you Rachel and thank you Lindy Lindy was on my course Belinda so it's it's a small world everyone knows everybody thank you very much for the for the recommendation and uh, thanks to you for listening if you like the show don't forget to leave a rating or review on iTunes Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts your review will help others find us and it will make us happy as well you can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode Uh, you can tell us off for laughing so much or tell us if you enjoyed us giggling maybe we should do more giggling so thank you very much Belinda thank you Kate until next time happy writing so you're still listening great because I wanted to tell you about my new podcast the recipe for SEO success show Sadly, this one's just me, Kate Toon, but it is packed full of useful, practical, doable SEO tips and advice. You can find it in the iTunes store, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for The Recipe for SEO Success Show.